I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello? Hello? Podcast Network Asia. Network Asia. Uh, along the way, in, in, I, I've sort of learned the value of time and perseverance. If you've uh, trained a particular skill for 10 years, you know, that really compounds its returns. And, and as a startup founder, you hear a lot of stories of, oh, I started a company and sold it within three years. That's really on, on the you know, outlier. I think a lot of more normal businesses and startups, they take longer to develop and grow. So, so don't be afraid, you know, don't feel bad if your business is, is growing a little more slowly at first. Stick with it. If, if the fundamentals are right, 10 years, I think it's where you will see uh, exponential returns in uh, any time within the 10 years. But it's, it's what also sets you apart from, from you know, uh, people who give up, right? Now, the second one is, is something that I also had to learn, maybe a little of the hard way, and that is you do need to hire very well. Right, uh, your team is really your your sharp end of the stick. You know, uh, we made some mistakes hiring. You know, we made some mistakes trying to be more conservative on hiring. Uh, I, I would say, you know, don't do that. If someone's worth it, yeah, don't be don't be afraid to pay. You, you also have equity. There's something you can use to attract and uh, trade off cash. So, so hire well. And hello, good evening, good afternoon, good morning, from wherever you are watching. From here in the Philippines and from all over the world. And welcome to my podcast, the RJ Ledesma Podcast. Again, thanks so much to all those listening and sending in their comments. I really do appreciate it. In the RJ Ledesma Podcast, I interview the country's pioneering business personalities and entrepreneurs to learn more about how they think about doing business, what are their success secrets, and can we hack them in our own businesses? How have they innovated their businesses during this pandemic? But more importantly, what opportunities do they see emerging in the new normal and in the next normal? Now, is there a business personality or entrepreneur that you would like me to interview here on the podcast? Please do let me know. I would love to have them here in the program and to pick their brains. Just drop me a message. We are live right now on Kumu, CBRC TV, Global Penas TV, and of course, the Bounce Back Network. If you're enjoying our podcast and you are learning a lot from it, please do me a favor. Subscribe to the podcast and invite more friends to listen to the RJ Ledesma podcast. And with that tonight, I've got a friend all the way from Singapore. Tonight, we have Amerson Lin, who is the president and co-founder of Giga Cover. Now, Giga Cover exists to create a fair and financially stable ecosystem for independent workers or what we call Imami Hassan or mga side hassan or mga gig workers. At alam ko sa Pilipinas, Marami tao dito ay mga gig workers, people who have got side jobs. And this is exactly uh, the type of people that this fintech startup is trying to address. It also offers financial and insurance services to gig workers, freelancers, and self-employed persons who often lack the benefits of regular employment. Its first customers here in the Philippines 
were our friends from Quad Access Logistics Platform, GoGo Express, and the freelancing group of my good friend MK Bertulfo, Filipina home-based moms or FH moms. Now, what are the growth opportunities does Amazon see happening here in the Philippines in 2022 and beyond? Let's learn more about that one. Please welcome on the show, Amerson Lim, all the way from Singapore. Amerson, welcome to the RJ Ladesma podcast. Hey, RJ. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you over here, Amerson. And you know what? Uh, I, I Like I said, I don't, I'm not sure if you know, but I run a market called uh, Mercato Central, which is the equivalent of uh, something like... Uh, Lao Pasat over there. It's a hawker's market over here in the Philippines. And a lot of the nice. people who are employed by the merchants who work for me are really, if technically, these are all gig workers and, and freelancers. And I'm sure they would benefit a lot from learning more about what GigaCover uh, does. So before everything else, let's just give people a better picture of what GigaCover is. And I often tell people, you know what, I'm sure you had to make an elevator pitch uh, to your investors initially to invest in the GigaCover. Can you share with me if in 30 seconds we were talking to a, a big investor, what do you tell him? What is GigaCover all about? Okay, yeah, yeah. 30 seconds while you're pushing me here. All right, let's go. <laughs> Two minutes. Go ahead, go ahead. No problem. Go ahead. Uh, let's, let's start with the size of the gig economy, right? I think it's, it's largely underestimated. But the World Bank uh, has, has, has done some work on this. And there are about 100 to 150 million workers in this sector. You know, it's known by a few names. The gig economy, freelancers, self-employed informal economy, right? But there are that many and easily 40 to 50% of Southeast Asia's workforce. So it's a huge market in terms of users, right? And, and that's what gets invitors, uh, sorry, investors excited uh, at the very start. Then we talk about the problems, right? So they're all individuals. No one has reached them. They're underbanked, underprotected. Many of them don't have you know, a single insurance policy. And if they, if they want to get credit, it's difficult, right? So GigaCover is here to represent all these workers as a mega group, a mega cooperative, a mega union. And, you know, because we have that group representation, we can get them better access to protection, better underwriting, uh, even better credit, you know, and better loans. That's the big story, right? If this is going to grow, it's going to grow really fast throughout Southeast Asia. The sheer size of the numbers and the sheer pain points. And regardless of what occupation you're in, you could be a driver, a coach, an influencer, makeup artist, uh, you know, there are a variety of things that, that people do in this economy, but they all face the same problems. So, right? sorry, so that's the cover in a nutshell. From high-end, from high high-profile jobs to very low-profile jobs. Is that right, Amazon? Yeah, exactly. That's why I, I, I painted the range because we have very skilled people in this economy and we also have you know, a bit more mass, uh, uh, slightly less skilled labor uh, supporting industries like retail, F&B, ride-hailing, logistics delivery, and so on. Yeah, it's a big range, but they all have the same problems. Wow. And so uh, I understand it very, very well. I think what people just don't understand right now, especially for the first-timers listening, is how does GigaCover represent all these people? How do you bring them all together and I guess get them benefits? How, how does that happen? Yeah, so it's, it, starts, it starts with how do we reach them, right? Because only by reaching them can we get them into our base and then build that base up such that it is sizable enough to then be a, a virtuous cycle, right? So we start by working with platforms and marketplaces and places where these workers would congregate and aggregate, right? So we go to the right healing platforms, so as you mentioned, you know, FH Mums, Quadex, uh, we go to big um, associations, associations of taxi drivers, associations of ride, uh, ride hailing, sorry, 
uh, food delivery riders and so on. Even associations of like musicians and artists and influencers, right? Are there many influencer platforms? If we hit one of them, we get 10, 20, 30,000. So that's how we build our base, Audrey. And how do we provide that value? Well, we start with the client, the business that's using them. Well, they want to manage the benefits of these workers because they need the workers or whoever is helping them uh, with their business, what they call business partners, generate revenue, stay loyal to the service and just do more and be more successful, right? So to incentivize them to do more, to be loyal, you need incentives and benefits. And that's what we provide in the form of financial services. So both insurance products as well as some credit products. You know, of course, in terms of sequencing, we started with insurance, but later on, we'll probably bring on more financial services. Amazing. Uh, I have in mind, though, I mean, I, I really appreciate where you're coming from and how you're able to aggregate things. You know, there are people, uh, maybe they're a bit savvy, especially knowing how, how things are scaled and how, how tech startups work. But let's say I was going to explain exactly what Tio Cover does. Uh, and I was going to explain to my uh, 78-year-old dad who's not really part of the tech startup economy or, you know, or does fintech. How would I explain what Giga Cover does for them? Very simple. Imagine that you are now working for somebody and you take the best parts, which is benefits and protection and representation, but you can, you can do away with all the worst parts, right? Because you don't have the freedom and flexibility of having multiple hustles, but yet there is somebody at Giga Cover looking after you in terms of your healthcare, your insurance, legal protection, you know, representation, fighting for your, for your rights and so on. That's how I would explain it. You get the best parts of both worlds. So basically, um, if I were to say it, like my, the other job which I have, let's say, for example, is as a, I'm a professional host. I'm a wedding host, events host, right? So technically, uh, I can continue with that work without being worried about what a regular employee would get in terms of perks and benefits because gear cover is there. Is that right? Exactly. I mean, once you make the switch to go from employment to self-employment, you have to, the, the, the concerns, right? Oh, how do I get income? What if I need to invest in an asset like a tool? like a studio, no, to do the recording work. Uh, what if I can't get clients? Um, you know, so all this instability uh, is a result of that choice. But GigaCover, at GigaCover, we feel that this should not be the natural trade-off, right? And we're here to protect that, that very bottom line, right? Earnings protection, insurance, protection on your assets, getting you better lines of credit, you know, gentler lines of credit. That's helped you smoothen out that cash flow. And then now you have that stability while that freedom as well. You sort of like de-risk what it means to be a freelancer. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. De-risk and stabilize, right? So now you have the freedom as well as the stability, which uh, you know in the past you might have to trade off, and now you, you can have both. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. 
And I think that's that's what we, we you know in terms of a mission, you know, like core sort of uh, brand and sort of uh, my personal mission and goal is really to make that choice to be self-employed just as valid, right? For the longest time, if you went self-employed, people would ask, oh, because you couldn't find a job or how are you <laughs> going to feed your family, right? Those are all very negative, right? I want to turn it into maybe not so positive yet, but at least equal as being employed. Well, that's that's really interesting, and I, I appreciate that one. And I want to get a bit a bit more into your into your why 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 you got into this particular like Simon Sinek's why. But but before that one, just tell me how just what is the current state right now of GigaCover? For those you know, it, it looks like a very interesting concept that you're doing right now. What's your current set of investors? How many countries are you in? How many customers do you guys have currently under uh, GigaCover's uh, portfolio? Yeah, yeah, happy to share, RJ. Uh... We are in three countries right now uh, with a presence in Singapore. We first started in 2017, so four plus years. Uh, and we have uh, small businesses in both Indonesia and the Philippines. Philippines is probably the newest, but I think Philippines represents the fastest growing segment that we have amongst the three. Um, in terms of users, we're pushing about 100,000 at this point. Um, across across and, three countries? Across three countries, yeah. Across three countries. And we're looking to hit you know, 200, 300,000 by the end of this year. Right, so there's this quite significant growth that, that we're projecting. Uh, we've been invested in before, right? So uh, we, we did a seed round and a pre-series A round, and that's where we're at now. We have investors from, from Singapore, of course, uh, Hong Kong, um, and also Indonesia, right? And of course, next, we'll be looking for our Series A and hopefully bring on board some major investors from the Philippines. Wow, very excited for you. You know what? I often ask this question for people who get investments. Uh, it, it can be uh, awesome, but at the same time, very scary experience because technically people are investing in what initially for you was just an idea and now it's sort of saying like okay there's no stepping back anymore i've got people i got other people's money helping me grow the business how did it feel like uh when the investors started coming in i mean they, they loved your idea but at the same time you're going oh my god they love my idea now i gotta do it <laughs> yes yes it, it is now a, a responsibility but you know i also think that they probably had a lot of fear on their side as well you know putting their money with me and wondering, you know, if I'll be one of those uh, guys that go up uh, in flames. Well, I'm happy to say that we've been very responsible uh, with the cash that they've given us. Uh, we've been operating in you know, a fairly prudent way. But it was definitely surprising to me, uh, at least for my investors, uh, how supportive they were. And, and, you know, you don't really see this until there is a crisis. And the most recent crisis, well, everybody knows, uh, was the pandemic. You know, we weren't spared. I think uh, we also were impacted. The economy ground to a halt. Uh, certain sectors of the gig economy were also grinding to exactly. a halt. You know? so exactly. We, except we for, had the, to get except the for delivery, of, of course. Except for delivery. That, that went pretty well. Yeah, delivery went up for sure. Cleaning, security went up. But many others, you know, uh, suffered um, yeah, but the good thing is if you're a gig worker, then you can easily just shift. You can easily just shift industries, right? That's your freedom and your flexibility. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, great question, RJ. By, you know, my investors have been very uh, supportive. So, you know, maybe I can just mention Vector. Vector is okay, one of our supporters, Vector Ventures from Hong Kong. So, yeah, a shout out to them as well for um, taking care of us um, post-seat round. Uh, before that, we had, a, you know, a bunch of angel investors. Uh, TK Wong from Singapore uh, has always been a, a champion of us. He loves to say, you know, in the Star Wars story, you should uh, if you're the rebellion, you need to act like one. You need to you need to, you need to shout your message. You need to get your loyalists. Uh, so yeah, in each phase of our growth, we had some investor to really look after where we were headed to make sure that the, the strategy was sound. And having said that, uh, there are people here right now. You know, uh, right now the Philippines is becoming a hotbed for startups. I mean, Indonesia came ahead of us, of course, right now because of the sheer size of the population. Many uh, VCs started coming to Indonesia, but right now the Philippines is coming up uh, like. Uh, 
Kumu. I don't know if you heard of the Kumu, our live streaming platform over here. It's 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 really it's booming, and there there are others coming up. We have our first uh, another unicorn with the GCash, which is our you know our 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 online payment method. Of course, you know they're all they're all people are now scrambling to like, probably get investors for their for their great ideas. I, I want to ask you some questions when it comes to uh, comes to that. Now, first of all, when do you know that it's a good time to start looking for? I mean. Sometimes when you're when you're doing a startup, you, you all think your ideas are great, right? Because <laughs> it's from you. And then if you if you're an equity chamber, yeah, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. Yeah, get an investor, get an investor. You're not too sure, right? So, uh, how do you know that, that idea is something that's worthy to bring to an investor? And, and number two, also, uh, how do you know which investors do you look for? I mean, I always hear people saying to us, like, you know what? Don't get people who can just give you money. That's not what you want. You want to get investors who got shared values who add something to the table. Help us through that process a bit more, Amerson, because you've been through it. Maybe you could help us a bit more understand uh, when is it time to bring an idea to investors and what type of investors should you look for in a growing company like yours? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I can share my my, my personal learnings from my mm-hmm. journey. Well, let's, let's start with when is it a good time to reach out to investors? When do you know that the idea you have is, is worth something? Like like you said, to answer this question, you know, it's, it's very helpful to think as an investor yourself. Mm-hmm. What would you want to see? And 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 if you do that, it's, it's, it becomes a little easier, right? So you're looking for something that has a huge potential. So a big market, that's what they call it, a total addressable market, something something that has a large temp. And then second, is there a something unique you're bringing to the table in that space, right? That could allow you to grow very quickly, take over the incumbents, uh, mm-hmm. or create new value. Uh, so that's innovation, right? So market size, innovation. And then the next would be really team because at this younger stage um you know you're not backed with a huge ton of cash or existing scale how you're going to win is largely do you have the right people so so those are the ingredients i would say if you you spot those three and you say yeah i've got a big market i I think my solution is innovative and we spend some time building up the tech and look if it's in this space i've got somebody who was there before in my team but i also have a marketing person i also have you know the tech guy you know that team is quite well-rounded it's a very good start. And then the next thing is is their traction, right? That is the ground truth. And I think maybe a, a few startups or entrepreneurs might uh, might be prematurely raising and invest and looking for investors' money without having seen that traction. And that traction is really the proof that something you have is is working. That could be, you know, a couple of large clients, that could be user growth, that could be more engagement from your first few customers. Only you will know. But Trust me, you will know. You will feel it. Like it feels like it's going the way it should. You feel excited. You feel that it is something you wake up every morning to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the right time you want to get money, bring in more staff, spend more on marketing, spend more on customer acquisition, and grow. All right. So, so that's how I would I would think of it. Don't think of it as you know I I want to raise a certain amount of money just for the sake of it. I want my valuations to keep going up. You know, I think just focus on your customers and the traction. And the rest will sort of fall into place. And then to extend this uh, discussion, then you know, what kind of investors do you look for? I, you're absolutely right. I think you mentioned about money not being just money, but money coming with networks, advice. So I tend to like investors who who have been entrepreneurs themselves. I feel that like they understand my journey, uh, they understand the risks, and you know what we put ourselves through, right? And they are less like you know, generalization, but they may be less sort of clinical about the whole thing. And then, of course, do they have uh, advantages or do they bring something to the table for that market or that product or the industry that you're going into? 
so for me, my next round, you know, I'm really hoping somebody from the Philippines could participate, right? Because I want to open up those doors. I want someone with that kind of um, weight, gravitas that we can lean on if there's any trouble. That's how I think about investors, right? And then the last is just really like, it's like dating. You got to meet up. Gonna see if you click, you know, if it works out, you know, it's gonna be a, a good relationship. And and I've seen it firsthand. My investors are great. They helped me through the crisis. They helped me open doors. Um, yeah. So pick them wisely because if you pick them poorly, you know, there's a lot of stress. Uh, you know, and they put they put tough targets on you. And sometimes you sign away certain rights and veto rights that you don't mm. know of. They come in and take over the board or take over the company. Yeah. Then 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 that's a very bad experience. You know, when I look at uh, how you what you try to do is you try to serve. Uh, the underserved in the gig economy. I just want to ask, do you think that what you're doing is also something, oftentimes we, when we do startups, oftentimes they tell us, you know, you're solving a problem and, or you're trying to disrupt, an, you know, you disrupt an industry. Is there something particularly uh, that gig cover is disrupting or is it something that, is, are, are you doing something that is serving an underserved, is it an underserved opportunity or unmet opportunity that you guys are trying to, to, uh, to address? It's the second. It's the second. So it's an underserved opportunity for which we need to spend a bit of time to prove the value, uh, which we have successfully done in Singapore. But when, and once that inflection point is hit, it will quickly take off. And, and that's what investors are betting on, right? So we're not pulling away business from, from, from elsewhere. Uh, we're saying, look, this economy is growing and the incumbents have avoided this economy for various reasons. It's lower income, it's higher risk. I can't reach them in a large way. So, you know, let someone else do it, right? Let's just focus on middle, upper income and so on. So, yeah, we, we are penetrating or trying to create value in an underserved market um, as opposed to disrupting. You know, I think the only thing that we might be um, disrupting is, is maybe in, in, in the back end where we're, where we're challenging the limits of how quickly claims can be paid out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are we using traditional methods or are we using more sophisticated methods uh, of detecting fraud, of you know, approving and rejecting claims automatically, or maybe incorporating the blockchain into some of our uh, payouts so that you know, they're, they're, they're fuss-free and, and just automatic. Yeah, that's where maybe we have some disruption. But for the front, you know, it's more about value creation. I get that. I get that. And, and when you were thinking about it, so you, you began this business in Singapore because you did see that even in Singapore, there's a need to service uh, the unmet need of the gig economy because there are a lot of gig, gig workers over there. Do you choose to go to expand in Indonesia and the Philippines as a result of, you know, it's a natural organic progression because it's geographically favorable to go there or because you really did see the opportunity? I mean, you could have also gone to other countries where, where it seems that uh, the opportunity is present. Same, because all economies of gigs, like if you're going for a size, India's probably got the size, right? <laughs> I mean, that, that's how, I mean, that's just, I'm just asking, that's how I would see it. Yeah. So why choose, uh, is it geographic desirability? I, I think I can put it as a simple two-axis consideration. Uh, so the first is, yeah, is the market big enough? Right, so Indonesia, India, US—I mean, they're all up there. Uh, and then second would be maybe Vietnam, Thailand, Philippines, right? And then the, the second axis is, you know, can I succeed? And I think that's the other one that is is maybe less easy to determine. Um, you know, because success can mean—is it that it's competition? Is it that the local culture, you know, could uh, prevent you from from gaining traction? Do you have special, um, I guess? unfair advantages do you know somebody there already is an investor able to open a certain door that or, or are you chummy with the regulators right so the second part can you succeed 
was was probably the reason there together with the first big market that led us to Indonesia, right? Because one of our first earliest investors was an Indonesian. I see, I see. Yeah, so we felt that we had a little bit of more advantage and it was also a big market and close enough, right? So that was a good, good, good bet. And then second, the Philippines, similarly, fairly big market, maybe not the biggest, uh, but in terms of the gig economy, actually a very, very good market. Mm. I was shocked at how yeah how engaged the population was in gig work. And maybe because it's not just gig work for the Philippines, uh, but it's gig work for the world and <laughs> freelance work for the whole world. Yeah. yeah. So many graphic designers are serving on Upwork and Fiverr and they're and they're doing stuff across uh, uh, you know the, the, the world. It's crazy, right? So if you narrow down your industry a bit more, I would say the Philippines gig economy might be even bigger and more vibrant than Indonesia's. Wow. You know, to, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and hopefully that proves to be true as, as we explore it a bit more. And then our abilities succeed. Well, a little a little serendipitous, but we happen to have team members who had done some work there before, new people. Um, and so just based on those relationships, we're able to open up those those doors more quickly. Right. So just, just trusted relationships. So that's how that's what we were we were how, how, how we ended up in the Philippines, right? First a recognition that you know the, the market was good, big, it was right. Plus with COVID, you know, the, the desire to have health insurance just you know went through the roof. Mm-hmm. Um, so just a lot of natural demand. And then second, yeah, having the team that could execute. In terms of the Philippines, I have to mind I'd like to ask one more question because this is interesting to me that you're saying that you you've got a big gig economy going on over here, which does not just encapsulate serving the local market, but serves the international market. Do you, can you just paint a picture for me just oh, what is the profile of the Philippine gig economy? Because I mean, naturally we can kind of say, yeah, it's also the ride dealers, it's also the street vendors, you know. Who, who mm-hmm. did you see initially when you looked at the Philippines? Who were the, would you have like a, a breakdown of who, who our gig players were? Yeah, so I think top level numbers, right? Maybe 10 plus million uh, gig freelance workers in, in, in the Philippines. Of course, many in the right hailing, delivery, you know, uh, contract worker space. So your food pandas and ankas and so on. Uh, but actually, very top of mind was also um, anyone as, uh, you know, that, that was doing sort of graphic design, you know, marketing, consulting, SEO work, just because the English, standard of English is, is high, right? And that allows them to access a much broader um, sort of client pool. Uh, so, you know, Top of top of hit for me was that actually the Philippines might have a bigger white collar gig worker freelancer market than blue collar, mm-hmm. right? Maybe by by sort of the, the revenue or total you know uh, earnings, but maybe even by numbers, you know, I, I I'm not sure yet. So so that yeah that that's what came to mind, right? Really, it was it was more of the white collar freelancers that stood up, and then when we started exploring, oh, there were also a lot of blue collar workers. Not surprisingly, yeah. So that's sort of the picture I had, and of course it would be clearer if I could get to visit Manila soon. Well, that's what we're hoping for uh, just as well. And, and having said that, uh, Emerson, really interesting journey uh, that you've shared with me so far about gear cover. But what I'm also just as interested in is to discover your own story with regard to getting into entrepreneurship. And, and we often mm. tell people, you know what, um, entrepreneurship, uh, when you get into it, it's all about turning pain points into business opportunities or rather irritations that you discovered into an inspiration to doing business. And I understand, you know, what, what I understand, you, you came from the finance sector. So please help help me take take me through your 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 own uh, journey as to you know when you were working and discovered there's there's something here, and when you left the job to put the gear cover. Yeah, yeah, happy to share. So, and you'll see along the way why where where was my touch point with being a freelancer. So I started out my 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 career, I guess, on a scholarship program with the government. 
So the Singapore government had paid for me to study overseas. Um, I went I went to US to study at MIT, and I came back, but I had to work at the uh, the Singapore um, military. Uh, I'm I'm a, I'm a fellow I'm a fellow alumni. I'm a fellow alumnus from MIT. Oh, I finished. Uh, That's great. Two, yeah. yeah. Which uh, which years were you there at? I was there uh, the year of uh, 9/11. So I was there from 2000 to 2001. So nice to see a fellow oh, so beaver. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I. <laughs> I, no, I was there when when nine eleven hit as well. Oh wow! I was there from um, yeah, one, but that was my very first year, and you know, what 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 a shock in the first year um, onwards. And um, yeah, you would have missed it, but you know, oh three was the year the Boston Red Sox um, broke the curse. Exactly that too, that too. But yeah, very yeah, interesting. Yeah. So, so, so I think nice, nice to see that fellow Bieber over here. So please continue your story. Uh, yeah. Good. So yeah, so I, I was on the, the the program and I had to serve up my, my time in, in the military. So I was actually in the Air Force. Uh, I sat behind on surveillance aircraft and, you know, we were flying sort of uh, routine missions. And that was sort of my path, right? Vocation. Uh, they would rotate me in and out. You know, I would go to the HQ headquarters and do some kind of uh, planning, corporate planning or training, and then go back to the squadron and so on. Uh, but after, you know, four, four, five years of this, I decided, you know, I still miss my time uh, in the US where I was working on products and software. I had, I had an internship at Microsoft one summer, which opened my eyes to, to the world of software. And I wanted to go back. So I said, well, you know, uh, I, I, I like to to try, you know, going back to, to building products and maybe building a business, right? So already the, the bug was sort of in me to want to build something of my own. So I joined a couple of companies. Uh, one was Pivotal. Uh, we were building software and, you know, consulting for like Twitter, eBay and, and so on. So part Singapore, part US. That was for two or three years. And then I became a freelancer for about six months. Mm-hmm. I was consulting, right? I was building software and, you know, discussing product with a few clients. And RJ, it was at this point that I tried to apply for a credit card. Uh, I already had a couple and I wanted to apply for another one uh, because of a promotion. No, so in Singapore, a lot of credit cards come with promotions. You get like a free luggage or, you know, cash back. And to my surprise, you know, because I was self-employed, I needed 18 months at that time. 18 months of uh, employment, self-employment, you know, history, mm-hmm. of which they would take only 60% of the income, right? As eligible income for determining your line of credit or your credit limit. So that was my first encounter with, you know, how difficult it was to be a freelancer. Here I was trying to, you know, read through my own contracts. I didn't have money to hire a lawyer, you know, dealing with client negotiations. And then, you know, I couldn't even get a credit card to, to have a slightly easier life. So it's not easy. And I felt that for, 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 for the first time myself. So that was always in the back of my head, you know. And then I went back to the US. I worked for Palantir for a few years. So I was serving the financial services industry at Palantir. We basically helped banks find like money laundering, terrorist financing, uh, basically rogue, rogue traders or rogue activity. Yeah, so that was my brush with the financial industry. And so much more from a data angle, operational risk angle. Uh, and that took me back to 2016-ish. Uh, and that's when I, I started to explore new ideas. I, I came back to Singapore and I decided, well, you know, I, I left the military to try my hand at building stuff. I learned, you know, the ropes for, for, for a few years. Why not try something on my own? And then at the back of my head, I was like, oh, I have this experience, right? And then now we're seeing that Grab, Gojek, Uber, they're all booming. So the, the thought of becoming a freelancer was just becoming more and more popular. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, that's got to come with some changes in the industry. And I recall, you know, my difficulties. We validated it again with 
all sorts of occupations. We had friends who were writers. We had friends who were driving Grab as well. We said, okay, well, what, what, what's the deal? And you know, eight years later, the same problem still exists, right? So it needs to be fixed. So that's how we embarked on, on, on the mission. So me and my co-founder, someone I met uh, from secondary school, he had just done also his time in Hong Kong. He was working for, uh, sorry, for, for Zalora, selling fashion. He came back and, you know, we worked together on the first iteration of this idea. Wow. So that was my founding story. Very interesting. Uh, tell me, bring me back to this time because this is the most interesting story of how did you get your first client after, you know, because you, you, you've, got, you've got your beta, right? What, what did you guys do? You just developed yourself, came to somebody. How do you sell your first product? Well, um, we tested the idea of our first earnings protection insurance. That was our first big product with, you know, the first customer, Grab and Gojek and so on. Uh, they were fighting it out. Drivers were, were getting incentives thrown at them, you know, to drive from one or the other. And we're like, you know, what could you, uh, what do you need to further differentiate your platform so that a driver would be attracted to stay, do more, do more rides and so on, apart from cash, right? Because cash is going to be unsustainable. You want some, some more sustainable alternatives. So they, they were the, the, the first sort of MVP, minimum viable product validator. Mm-hmm. And then it became our, our first customer. And I, and I think that's sort of the right way to do it. You know, you should always build a product with a customer in mind mm-hmm. as opposed to building it and then trying to look for a customer. That's right. right? So, so, yeah. So, Andre, that, that's, I, think, I think we got that, at least that one thing right in our journey. <laughs> <laughs> I was in, in, the, in that journey, I often tell people, when you're an entrepreneur, like myself, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur myself, you know, there comes a point when you're doing the business also that you go, oh my God, is this going to work? Because you, you go, I mean, as you know, the entrepreneurship journey goes up and down. What is that sort of low point for you? If you don't mind me asking, where you go, I, I don't think this is going to work out or where it got really stressful for you, where you, where you thought that oh, it was the right decision to make to put this to put this uh, app together or to put together Giga Cover. Oh, yeah. Um, and it wasn't even that uh, that, that long ago. Uh, I think 2020 was that, was that year. I mean, I think many other businesses felt it. So, one of the things that a startup does is that it grows, it tries to grow at the expense of being profitable. Yes. And not course. many entrepreneurs will do this if, you know, if you're running maybe a more services business, F&B, whatever. You want to make money on your day one. Uh, but as a tech startup, I think we're encouraged to grow fast and, and, you know, not focus on the bottom line as much. I'm not saying, you know, just completely blow it, but like that's secondary, right? So we had that philosophy of growing fast, acquiring, you know, maybe paying a bit extra to get, you know, the next user. That's okay. But it put us in a very vulnerable position. And it's my, as a first time sort of entrepreneur, um, I didn't know any better, right? And so when, when the pandemic hit, I realized, look, wow, you know, if you're not running a profitable business at that point in time, then most startups aren't, then you're dependent on, investors and that's 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 like a really bad feeling to have because you know you're like basically having to beg for money now in and of, in and of itself that would not be so so difficult as long as the market uh still felt like it was it was something we were creating value with you know and then something that customers really wanted but 2020 as i mentioned also saw the transport industry just dry up right because no one was moving around and a lot of our business at that point in time was serving uh, the ride-hailing companies, taxi companies, and the related sort of driving um, um, insurance. And just that all disappeared, you know, in, in a quarter or two. And we never knew whether it was going to come back, maybe come back really, really slowly, right? And so that, that, that was the one that actually shook our confidence a little bit, right? We were wondering, well, was, was, was the pre-COVID situation just a false signal, right? Even though we had market validation, 
was it going to be a long-term sort of a trend? So those two things, right? A bit of shaking my confidence, a bit of that having to be in a position of begging money. Yeah, that, that was a terrible feeling. Right? Me and my co-founder, we, we, both, we both hated it. And the big learning from it is, you know, uh, we're now on track to becoming profitable. I think that takes off a lot of weight on, you know, on, <laughs> on, on, on cash. And the good news is also as the economy recovered, we saw the driving and all that come back. So yeah, I do think it is a long-term trend that will stay and not sort of a pre-COVID false signal, right? Yeah. So confidence-wise, I'm also feeling a lot better. Uh, and we're seeing the same across other occupations and other industries. You know, there's a word that's been worn thin uh, during this pandemic and the word is pivot. Um, I just want to know mm. that, you know, during that peak, of course, you know, and it, it goes lockstep together with what was happening to you guys. Of course, things sort of dried up because the gig economy for certain sectors disappeared. Did you have to pivot the business model or pivot the customers that you were serving to continue? I mean, because you, you weren't sure when it would come back, right? You weren't sure gig cover would recover using the same customer base that you had before. What changes did you guys have to make? Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, so I think when people say pivot, Mostly, it's it's you know a pretty major move to change your business uh, fairly drastically. Uh, examples would be Slack was a gaming company before they pivoted to a communications app, mm-hmm. right? So that kind of really one eighty sort of move. Uh, we didn't really pivot, but we definitely had to diversify away from transport and you know into food delivery, to caregiving, security, cleaning logistics, right? Other industries. And, and, and that, I wouldn't say it's a pivot, but, you know, um, it's sort of a, definitely a change in business model. We had to go after different kinds of uh, clients, uh, but the products more or less stayed the same. It was still protection. It was still getting them access to wages and earnings earlier. Uh, yeah, that, that was still the same. So just the industry, right? I see. So it's sort of like changing the scope of the industries which you covered. Yeah, just going to where the demand was. So the workers and the business you know, they went to food delivery, logistics, warehousing, uh, cleaning. Yeah. So we just followed them. And just you, if you're fast enough, I think, you know, you'll be able to catch it. That's right. I want to ask you another question uh, in relation to uh, running GigaCover. And I, I want to relate it to my own experience. For me, there was, there was a time when I was running my outdoor market and, you know, there were a lot of challenges doing it. But there was a point where I said, you know, oh my God, this is going to work. It, it, it's it's going to be doing good because I was standing in the middle of, of the market and there were like hundreds of people pa- passing me by and, and, you know, and, you know, patronizing the market and people had turned my market, the name of my market to, into a verb, like let's, let's Mercato, let's go to Mercato or, you know, you know, they, that's how, how they would say it. So for me, I felt that, wow, it's, it's going to get somewhere. What was that point for you mm. where you said, okay, GigaCover is, is going to make it or, you know, it's got potential. I think it's going to grow. What is that point for you? Well, I, I wouldn't say anybody is uh, using our, our business name as a verb. Uh, if you're a verb, I think you've, you've truly, you've truly made it. Uh, but the turning point of a similar nature was when a friend of mine, so we serve Gojek in Singapore, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we cover their, their, their drivers. Uh, and so my friend was taking a Gojek back from the airport. He had just landed, you know, maybe just about three, four months ago. Uh, he said he was just casually chatting with the driver and then they were talking about various things and then he had just come out of um, an injury and then he had a claim and he said, oh yeah, I, I really like, you know, whoever Giga Cover is working with because they, they managed to pay out my claim really quickly. 
fuss free uh, and you know we're really thankful that uh, I had that four thousand over dollars to to tide over certain things and then my friend just casually asked oh so so who who is this provider then he said well, I I think they sound I think that something cover and then oh, oh giga cover so, yeah 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 giga cover right so <laughs> I think that was that point for me right not a verb but like brand recognition from the yes. very driver that we're serving you know brand recall uh, through a friend you know so I didn't plant anybody there <laughs> yeah that was my point so that's for Singapore. Now, for the Philippines, we're much younger, but I hope, you know, to hear a story like that sometime. Oh, I, I look forward to hearing a story that for you here in the Philippines. And, and having <laughs> said that, uh, coming to the Philippines, uh, I know you're just starting out, you just started the Philippine services. What I find interesting is that you started amidst this pandemic to enter the Philippines, right? I mean, it, you came in December 2021, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Some people would be more cautious, but... To open a business in, in another country is, I find, very aggressive. Why do it during this time? Oh, great question. And I think I have a good answer, right? I've always believed that when there is fear, you know, an entrepreneur gets an advantage. If you can, if you're more bold and daring and risk-taking, you, you get a you get a better shot. Everything is cheaper. Rent, you know, uh, staff, you know, goods. Agree, yeah, agree, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You agree, right? Yeah, I agree, agree. But that much. in itself was already one, one thing. And the second thing was, well, we just saw that COVID was actually giving people a real fear of the virus and, and, and wanting HMO access and COVID-19 insurance and health insurance in general. So it's no brainer, right? I get, I get better economics on the cost side and then on the demand side, it's, it's, it's an opportunity. Yeah, I, I think I said that let's just, let's go for it, man, and, and see. So yeah, we incorporated as fast as we could, you know, pumped in some cash and went out. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So why, why, why at the time why Philippines why not I guess Thailand or Vietnam or Malaysia at the same time and I mean the experiences are basically the same across the countries with regard to the pandemic. Yeah, I know. Fair, fair point. Now we we just we 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 didn't do that that analysis of which country would be the best to expand into. Um, so as I mentioned, my, my my team has experience in the Philippines, mm-hmm. so partly opportunistic. Understand. Um, so yeah, and hence, hence we, we we just chose that. But yeah, had that person been in the Thailand, maybe, maybe who knows. <laughs> No, but I mean, that's, I mean, that's really how, that's how entrepreneurial intuition and opportunistic thinking are like. I mean, that's how you do. You move where the opportunity lies because you've got a network or you've got people that you can rely on to help you start off the business. And I think that's just a, a great idea. Uh, and having said that, I know in each of the markets, there's something, let's say, idiosyncratic about them, something a bit different every time. Like there are certain challenges mm. or something that's only specific to the Singapore market that you can handle uh, and, and you have to address it in a, Fairly Singaporean way, lah. In Indonesia, <laughs> it's a bit different. What made Philippines a bit different, and you know, sort of like what are the idiosyncrasies of the Philippines, and how 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 are you, I guess, uh, addressing them when it comes to the gig, the gig economy over here? Mm-hmm. I I think if I can compare, what stood up for me about the Philippines was 
the willingness to pay if the value was you know clear enough and that may not be the case in other markets uh, even though the value is there they still have the mentality of just wanting something cheap or wanting to claim more than they paid you know a lot of times in other markets they're like oh i want to claim i want to buy insurance after i got injured so i can claim right they just don't get the concept right whereas I think in Philippines, you know, more people get the concept, and if the the if the value is there, yeah, the willingness to pay, um, you know, that sort of maturity around that. That's that's what I've been seeing, and that's what I think is very promising about the market. Wow, exciting, exciting. Now, having said all that, one, let's take a look at the market and and the market opportunities emerging. You see a bigger picture of things here right now, and I just wanted to ask you, what are the opportunities that you're seeing, particularly business opportunities that you're seeing emerging, uh, for cover in the Philippines. And then after that one, what are you seeing also as opportunities emerging for entrepreneurs in the gig economy? Aside from the gig itself, right? I mean, is there a way to participate in that whole ecosystem of the gig economy over here that you're seeing as a result of what you guys are doing in GigaCover? Well, for, for GigaCover, I think what I can say is, you know, we, we, we've just barely started and scratched the surface. So in terms of growth, you know, it's working with more platforms and marketplaces in the Philippines, you know, uh, maybe even getting to some of the, the business process outsourcing kinds of companies. But beyond that, you know, and this is also what I believe, the, the future of work, uh, yes, it's largely gig workers and freelancers, you know, but there are many other kinds of uh, uh, employment types within the tech sector, the engineers, you know, marketing, you know, remote work. Uh, and, and, and they may not be necessarily gig. They could be employed, contract, short-term, right? So we're really looking forward to generalizing our model uh, so that within an organization or business that's participating in the future of work, we can serve whoever it is that you're working with, freelancer, contract, gig worker, permanent director. You know, we have something for you to de-risk your business bring value to your workers, your staff, and then move forward, right? So, so that, that's sort of the growth we're looking at. And not just that on the worker side, but I think, which, we, which is what we've been, we've been focusing on, but in the business risk itself, you know, how are you running your business and what kind of protection do you need? Let's just say, you know, do you're looking for more on-demand insurance? Are you looking for more embedded products, right? So that users and your ecosystem is a bit more protected just because, you know, everything has a little premium or protection attached to it, right? So, so that's what GigaCover is looking f- uh, forward to um, in, in, in 2022. Now, beyond that, you know, we are seeing a lot of opportunity beyond just the protection and financial services. So one big one, of course, is uh, payments. Now, we don't, we don't deal with payments, but I think that, you know, if you're, if you're working multiple jobs with, you know, multiple clients, then how quickly you get paid, how you get paid, you know, escrow and guarantees and chasing for payment, invoice factoring, you know, that, that, that whole thing has not been as thoroughly explored, uh, I feel. So there's some opportunity there for whoever wants, you know, to take this forward. And then the second one that just came to mind is upskilling. Upskilling. Right now, if you're in, if you're in a gig work, if you're a gig worker, what, what you're basically saying is, look, I want multiple hustles, right? I don't want one thing. I want to be good at a few things and get multiple streams of income. I want to be good at, you know, uh, selling online. I want to be good as uh, whatever, uh, croupier. <laughs> you know, I want to be good as a f- influencer and a freelance, you know, sort of uh, maybe host, MC, right? So getting them access to, to flexible learning, uh, maybe affordable. And then, yeah, just, just up, 
upskilling that, that, that population. Right? And I think employees would not upskill as much as gig workers and freelancers. I think just the mentality right. of it is a lot, it's a very different. So I think that that is actually a big market. Wow. Yeah. So, and uh, yeah, uh, I, I would do that if I wasn't doing it. <laughs> and this, you really covered a lot of what I wanted to ask you over there. I, I love how you had both questions of what you would do if, if you weren't doing a gig cover and of course, where the, the related industries where people can grow. Now, uh, as we start to wrap up uh, this conversation we're having on the RG The Desk podcast, uh, I know that there have been some valuable lessons you've taken home with you uh, as an entrepreneur. Uh, and if you were here giving sort of like your entrepreneurial masterclass, what would be those three big entrepreneurial life lessons that you want to share with uh, entrepreneurs, aspiring and current entrepreneurs uh, who are there trying to build their business, whether it is startup related or, you know, traditional business related? <laughs> Um, okay. I think, yeah, um, maybe the first one is something that I, I had to grapple with also. And I think that is don't give up, you know, uh, along the way. And, and I, I've sort of learned the value of time and perseverance, you know, people who have stuck with Bitcoin for 10 years, who stuck with uh, being a doctor for 10 years, you know, if you've uh, trained a particular skill for 10 years, you know, that really compounds its returns. And, and as a startup founder, you hear a lot of stories of, oh, I, I started a company and sold it within three years. That's really on, on the, you know, outlier. I think a lot of more normal businesses and startups, they take longer to develop and grow. So, so don't be afraid, you know, don't feel bad if your business is, is growing a little more slowly at first, you know, stick with it. If, if the fundamentals are right, 10 years, I think it's where you will see uh, exponential returns, you know, um, anytime within the 10 years. But it's, it's what also sets you apart from, from you know, uh, people who give up, right? If you stay in the game, then, then at least you're still there when the smoke clears, right? So don't give up perseverance and time. So that's just one, one little lesson. Now, the second one is, is something that I also had to learn, maybe a little in the hard way, and that is you do need to hire very well, mm-hmm. right? Uh, your team is really your, your sharp end of the stick. You know, uh, we made some mistakes hiring. You know, we made some mistakes trying to be more conservative on hiring. Uh, I, I would say, you know, don't do that. If someone's worth it, yeah, don't be, don't be afraid to pay. You, you also have equity. That's something you can use to attract and uh, trade off cash. So, so hire well. That, that makes a lot of difference to your team. Hire well, yes. And, I agree, very much. Yeah. As you say, as you say that, I, I'm, I'm also, you know, recalling my own experiences, and I, I, I can commiserate with you every time. Sometimes the biggest thing for an entrepreneur is going, you know, I can do this myself. I don't have to hire such good people. Maybe we can do that. But sometimes hiring really good people is the best thing to do. It sounds like common sense, but as an entrepreneur, sometimes it doesn't sound too common to you, right? Yeah, because you're always thinking about your bottom line. You're always exactly. thinking about some costs, and so, so you so you so you worry about it. But no, I mean, if someone's good, they're gonna they're gonna be more they're gonna be more worth whatever you pay, right? So hire well, and actually, that's that's what a lot of entrepreneurs who have made it also say. They say, you know, every hire that I bring in improves the average. So hire better than the average, and then the average would just keep going up. Right, and, and I and I think yeah, if if you, if you have the resources to do that, yeah, you, you should absolutely do that. Um, and then the last one is I think you know stay true to your um, to your focus to your true north. And many times you might get distracted by something shinier, you know. Oh, this industry that's adjacent to yours just suddenly is attracting a ton of cash, you know. And you want to you want to sort of pivot or get into it as well. And sometimes it's a good idea, right? But you know, just be careful about jumping to something shinier all the time. I think I also see a lot of entrepreneurs sort of do that. You know, we've 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 tried we've made maybe one or two sort of like 
adjacent uh, moves. But by and large, I think sticking to your core, your focus, knowing what that is, you know, selling your vision, mission um, to your team, to your clients. Yeah, that's really very important. You know, the, your, 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 your true north. Right. So, yeah, so three, three lessons uh, that I can think of right now. Thanks so much, Emerson. Um, I learned a lot from your three lessons over here. And it's always good to uh, take stock of what you're doing in your own business and, and measure it against other entrepreneurs. We, we learn a lot so much from each other. And that's why I love doing this podcast. I learned so much from people like you. And, I, you know, because I have to revisit the only way that I run my, my business. And having said that, Emerson, if there are gig workers here in the Philippines right now who are interested in, uh, in subscribing to or patronizing Geocorber services here in the Philippines. Uh, who do they approach? Where, where can they go? Ah, okay. Well, we have a team uh, physically based in Manila. Uh, so Cheska, uh, sort of the chief of staff who's running the show. So you can reach us, um, Kamusta at gigacover.com. So apparently, I, I think that means hello. Yes, that's right. In, in Philippines. Yeah. So, you know, drop us a note um, or go to our website, gigacover.com slash PH. Uh, you find a contact number, you call, or you can also drop me an email, right? Emerson at gigacover.com. Happy to to take any of these queries or um, inquiries and, and help you. Yeah. I'm also looking forward to meeting more Filipinos and, and you know, learning more about what you do as a gig worker, learning about your needs and how we can better serve your community in uh, 2022. Well, right now, we're opening the economy for people to come over here right now. We're opening travel. Hopefully, you get to come over here soon. And I have to hope to have dinner with you in our Mercato Central. And you can enjoy great Filipino street food. Again, uh, we're posting uh, GigaCover's uh, website here on the screen. Can we post it one more time, Clark, please? That's www.gigacover.com slash ph. Is that right, um, Emerson? Yes. yes okay. That's, right. that's fantastic. Again, Emerson, thank you so much for guesting here on the show. Really appreciate your presence and the great entrepreneurial learnings that we gained from you. Looking forward to having your cover grow not just here in the Philippines, but across Southeast Asia. Again, this has been the RJ Nadesa Podcast. We will see you next Thursday, uh, this coming Thursday for our next podcast. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you. All right. Thanks for having me, RJ. Take care. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.